How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for healthcare professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. We work with a lot of healthcare professionals in our life. Uh, in the hospital, in the community, in the clinics, but none more so often than with our nurses colleagues and our nurse practitioner colleagues. We spend a lot of time with our nursing colleagues, but we don't really truly understand their financial challenges. I'm assuming that they probably have very similar education, or I should, I should say, lack of education in personal finance during nursing school. I was very curious, and I invited one of my nurse practitioner colleagues and friend, a longtime friend, to come on the show and share with us what are the different financial challenges that they face every day. It was an eye opener for me. And even though I was aware of some of those challenges, it really didn't click until my friend told me the reality of it. So here is an episode with my friend, uh, a nurse practitioner, and she will share with us some of her realities. Enjoy the show. So welcome back to the show. How is my financial health doc podcast? And today we have a very special guest. Uh, we have another healthcare provider with us today. And today we have um, a nurse practitioner, an NP, because this show, this podcast is about all healthcare professionals. Because of that, I've decided to uh, bring on to the show a very good friend of mine, Ella. Ella has been an NP for a long, long time. I don't want to give you all the juicy stuff about Ella. I'm going to ask Ella to give all the juicy stuff about herself. So Ella, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me here. I'm looking forward to it. Perfect. So Ella, tell us a little bit about yourself so that we kind of get an understanding about your, your background and your expertise, and then we can have a discussion. I have been working as an NP since it got legislated in Canada back in 1997. Uh, so prior to that, working as a nurse, front lines, if you will. And then, you know, uh, upgrading my education. Um, I now hold a doctorate, but uh, that was done through part-time and working a lot. So I've been uh, working as an NP and actually teaching NP program uh, students uh, across Canada and various universities for the past 20 years now. Basically, what I, my major bread and butter is academia, but I also do clinical practice, telemedicine, as well as um, a community clinic, uh, and do consulting on the side. So I've got many gigs, if you will. So it sounds like you're a lot, a lot like me. I think that's why we get along so well together. You are a, a NP of all trades and of all types of work, and I like to do a whole bunch of work as well. I think that's how we got we got to know each other anyways, through conferences. And so you're a very hardworking NP, and you've been working many years, and I believe you said 20, but I think you've been working for longer than 20 years. Yes, longer. Well, if you want to really count, I've been working since I was nine years old. 
coming back to the fact that you know you've been working for a long time, you've got lots of clinical experience. You're also in academia and I believe research, and you're still doing clinical work. Having all those experience, this is a financial show, so I really want to address the financial part of your career, but. More importantly, I want to address the financial challenges of an NP. If you can maybe give me in a nutshell, what are the gaps and financial challenges that you've seen throughout this almost thirty-five years of practice? Yeah, right. So I guess I should do my disclaimer. This is, you know, from what I know, and I know a lot of NPs across Canada. So I did a little thematic analysis, if you will, of some of the. Uh, issues I see as it pertains to uh, finances. And the most obvious one is actually informal education or not even uh, any education with regards to financing um, in the curricula, whether it's, you know, the Bachelor of Science or, you know, the NPs are very educated, but nowhere in their curriculum has there been any sort of addressing of business 101 or um, managing your finances that just that's unheard of that doesn't exist so I think that's a major uh, issue Uh, but if we look at the data what we do know is that again as with nursing predominantly female although that's changing but when you're looking at uh, being a female even in this day and age 2021 we we know uh, in general that females in their reproductive years actually are the ones who are taking a gap in their employment. I mean, obviously, you know, it may vary and and this is, you know, just one-sided. Uh, having really parental, parental leave with, you know, traditional male roles just doesn't seem to exist. So that means that NPs, now there is no real corporate ladder, but there kind of is even in healthcare, they may not have the opportunity to really flourish in their career at, at during the reproductive years if they've taken some, you know, parental leave. Also, that also means that they have a gap in income. And that has a huge, you know, significance um, with again tied in with the career but I think that just makes a really big difference if if you have x number of years without or obviously it's subsidized by the government but that's you know not uh, a lot of money per se but it is a big issue so not only is there the reality of the demographics of MPs and uh, potential for income, as well as uh, having to, you know, take time out. But the other is actually not even knowing, even with all that great income, how do we manage that? Because again, it's not covered in the curriculum. So those are uh, the two major themes that I have noticed over the years. And although it's shifting, it still seems to be you know, quite prominent uh, today, 2021. No, interesting, because what you've mentioned, one, the lack of personal finance literacy in our curriculum is not just in the NP, it's in the MD, and also maybe in dentistry and chiro and physio and in optometry. In fact, in all healthcare streams, we don't get any personal finance literacy. Now, I, I understand why, the, the schools and the universities are there to give us knowledge 
in respect to our professions. Otherwise, we'd be financial planners or financial advisors, right? <laughs> we yeah. wouldn't be we wouldn't be nurses and nurse True. practitioners. True. That being said, you point out something that is very important that I've mentioned many times is that once we're done the schooling, we have to come out and we obviously have to work. We obviously have to review contracts. We have to set up our clinic. We also have to contribute to our RRSP. We have to contribute to our TFSA if we even know what that is. And also the, the key point you mentioned, and I think nobody has thought about this until really recently, is the fact that women in their procreative age, where they could potentially make the most money are actually at home caring for the, the family and caring for children. So that significantly reduces their, what I call their lifetime economic value. So their potential of earning an, an income in, in their entire life. And now with the sandwich generation, with you know caring for elderly, that magnifies it many, many times. And the professionals who get the most dinged for that are obviously women. And so yeah. it, there has to be something in the curriculum in nursing and nurse practitioner and PA and MD that has to address some of that. So that's one of the gaps that, that needs to be addressed over time. As you were talking about the NPs, you were mentioning uh, that it's shifting. So things are shifting. What did you mean by that? I, I think I was referring to shifting in terms of uh, two things. A, the demographics. So there are a lot more of those who identify themselves as male coming into the profession. So that's one shift. Secondly, never have I seen such a proliferation of NPs going into independent, uh, let me quote unquote, uh, independent practice where they are not necessarily an employee, but they're starting their own business they're starting their own business and good for them. I encourage that. But where can they get this information then to not necessarily flourish their own business, but to ensure that they have security in their income, right? Really, it's about having that knowledge. So again, kudos to them for doing this. But I've never seen so many NPs venture into that independent path as far as practice and career. Because really, when I started, it was all, okay, you go work for a community health center, you're always going to be an employee. <laughs> so what does this mean now? We, I may be employer or, you know, contractor, or whatever it might be. Those are the two that I've noticed have uh, shifted those trends. What's the percentage of NPs working in a salary type of position? Right. And so this is based on... Um, anecdotal data. <laughs> okay, so the numbers, but as far as what I know, I would say about 95, maybe 97% are employees. And what you're saying is there's a slow shift of NPs now taking on a either independent work or contract work, and therefore no longer salaried. Having that change is uh, scary, because going from a paycheck, a stable, consistent paycheck every two weeks to now all of a sudden being 
independent, a contractor, not knowing whether you're going to get a paycheck in two weeks. That's scary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good for them. You know, they want to take this on. Obviously, a lot of reasons why they want that shift, uh, personal and I'm sure career. You know, again, I, I'm quite sure if we had this conversation five years from now, we're looking at at least, you know, six, seven percent, if not more. We didn't think it was possible. That that was the other thing, not just possible in terms of a personal uh, choice, but, you know, NPs were set up to work publicly for the system, right? So it was about you were meant, your only option was to be an employee. And that's that's what you are, I hate to use the word, but trained to do. Along the way, technology with various healthcare services, the reality that we are definitely a two or three tiered system, at least here in Ontario for healthcare, it's not all subsidized, has lent itself for that opportunity for NPs to really start their own business. The NPs that are currently contractors or independent are still working within a public system um, that is offer service to the public on the on a on a public dime because there are NPs that are quote unquote contractors and independent and not charging patients uh, privately. So I just want to make sure the audience doesn't misunderstand that. Right. Can I give an example to sort of clarify and then you tell me uh, where this would fit? So yeah. the cosmetics side of things is really uh, what I'm talking about. So even RN or NP injectors, they're not just injectors, but they can set up, you know, their own sort of business where they're doing, you know, various cosmetics that you have to be an NP for, or at least even have uh, the ability to do that. So I, that's the biggest industry that I know of where NPs are doing their own business is actually in cosmetics. You're, you're right. So in that particular scenario, the NP is charging the patient privately because cosmetic is not what we called quote unquote medically necessary under the Canada Health Act. So whether you are a NP or you are a physician, if you're dealing with cosmetic, you're dealing with the private side. You were mentioning one of your colleagues who's doing telemedicine mm-hmm. uh, that is still covered under the OHIP dime. The NP's income is not through OHIP, it's through a hourly rate. Yes. But it's not under a salaried model, it's under a contracting model. The NP is being paid on a contractor basis as opposed to a salary basis, but the patient is still seeing, is still being seen under the public health care. Yes. So that example is a, uh, is a public system, but still the NP has a choice of being an independent contractor. Both exist. Um, I would say that what's skyrocketing are those NPs that are going solo into business, like in the cosmetics, even teaching at a university, you can be a contractor. It is not going to be long. I can guarantee you that. I'll, I'll bet my sweater right now. Uh, you see what sweater I'm wearing. The 4 or 5% that you were mentioning will, will shift from, you know, cosmetic only to other type of public health care delivery service, but still being on a contractor model. But if things shift in our healthcare system and there's more opportunity, I uh, totally agree. They will definitely go for it. Even though I work for the hospital, I'm not a hospital employee. I'm very glad to be a contractor. 
despite that, we've not been taught in our curriculum how to actually leverage that contractor status. In NP, well, it started off as being an NP in a hospital working in a salaried position. They've never been taught how to leverage the fact that they can now incorporate. And so even though they are incorporated, some of them are incorporated, they don't know what to do with it because no one, no one has ever taught them how to leverage it. Right. Or, or know who to go to. I mean, as we're all taught in clinical, you may not always know the answer, but at least you'll have some inclination where to find the answer. Yeah, you don't know what you don't know. Sometimes you don't even know where to go to find the answer. Now, coming back to that, to the fact that NPs now can incorporate. So tell me a little bit about that. When did that start and why did that start? And how many NPs have really leveraged that so far? What we're talking about is quite a recent phenomena. Uh, If I go back to uh, when NPs were first um, titled across Canada, we're looking at 97 and then the, the profession fighting for itself, getting, you know, data to validate its existence, which is quite annoying because there's a lot of data already out there. But after we, uh, we got through that hump, now it's looking at, okay, you mean I can go outside the employee realm? And that sort of opportunity, if you will, uh, came to probably a possibility five years ago, maybe eight, but I really don't know still the nitty gritty of it. But but yeah, this this is just stuff that is, I don't want to say taboo, but just never on the radar. And so now that they can incorporate, they can build their own business. This is one way for them to really think about how can I run this as a business or what kind of business can I run through this corporation while I'm still caring for my elderly mom and I'm still caring for my six-month-old baby? The little percentage that are out doing this business, their own business, so the 5% or 3%, they really, they really lack that literacy. They're learning as they go along. My concern is, are there enough resources? It's not been talked about before. What are the resources? So Vu, I know you're a great resource. Uh, but again, uh, what do we do to ensure that these NPs there get the information? They're not supposed to be taking an MBA, are they? Or should they? I don't know, right? Maybe that would be to their advantage. But remember, NPs already have at minimal master's degrees, right? So, you know, to say, oh, here, go take whatever two-year uh, two executive MBA or one year. First of all, that's very expensive. And second, is that really the route? How, where could they go to get educated, albeit informally, on financial literacy. Nobody should ever need to take an MBA to understand basic financial literacy. I happen to do one, I happen to have an MBA, but I realized that my MBA did not help me at all, not one single percentage in learning about personal literacy and finance. And that's a myth. That's good that we uh, that you busted because uh, I, I stand corrected. I did not know that. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, an MBA is good for corporate finance and corporate world, but it's not very good for personal finance. So the second thing is, do we need informal versus formal education about personal literacy? 
my personal view is that we need formal education on personal finance. Now, it would be great if we had it within our curriculum. What is a a life insurance for a mortgage? What is a term insurance? What is a permanent life insurance? How do I deal with a contract? What what should I look for in a contract when I'm signing with you know Clinic A or CHCB? Those type of things should be taught because those are what we need to do. In addition to, of course, I'm going to have to heal and care for patients, but I also have to work somewhere, so I I need to know that. And so some formal education would be great. If it's not done within the curriculum, then there should be a formal education outside of that, which I also suggest we do, is that give formal education that is non-conflicted, so no conflict of interest, no bias provided by a proper school. And people would have to pay for it if they have to, but at least it's better than going on Google Finance. The same way... The same way our patients go on Dr. Google and they come to us expecting uh, an MRI because they have a, a knee pain or they go on Dr. Google thinking they should have antibiotic X when they have a cold. When it's not, when it's not relevant for that, it's also not relevant on the finance side. So if we think that we can informally go on Dr. Google and, or Mr. Finance Google and get that, all that information, the information may actually be very correct and may be very accurate. It just doesn't apply to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think what you speak of again, I, and I could tell you, um, having been uh, an educator in academia for very many years, fitting it into the curriculum, that ain't going to happen, really. That, that's not realistic. Uh, however, as a professional development or continuing education, now that can be delivered by various universities, but also other organizations. And the importance of the content conflict of interest and bias is always key there. But absolutely, I think, you know, whether it's credited or not credited, it's just there's a formalized mechanism of getting educated on this major uh, gap. As you say, there has to be some formalized education. And I absolutely agree with you that it has to be CPD, continuing professional education. It's very hard to fit it into a curriculum. That being said, I'm sure there's a way to do that, especially during clerkship or residency. Coming back to the question of whether it's accredited or non-accredited, financial wellness and financial health is part of physician wellness and it's part of NP wellness. If you think about word that comes from the root of all that. Of course, it could be the EMR. It could be, I have a bad boss. It could be volume. It could be, I'm overloaded. But it also comes from the fact that, you know, let's be honest, we all work for a paycheck. If we don't manage our personal finances well, we're going to be spending more than we make. We're going to be, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. We're going to be mismanaging our money. And then we have to chase for a bigger paycheck, or we now have to work more for a paycheck. And if we're chasing after a paycheck and we're working faster, harder, longer for a paycheck, it is not surprising that people burn out. Financial stress is a huge, huge contributor to burnout in my mind. And if we're going to tackle burnout in our society, in healthcare professionals, we need to make sure that we teach them appropriate wellness and it includes financial wellness and because of that it has to be accredited 
Yeah, I mean, uh, and accredited can mean different uh, sort of things. I know, you know, your uh, medicine gets CMEs, but we what we want is we want a good quality assurance going back to ensure that this uh, type of education through professional development is uh, done by the right person, right content, and it's not delivered by Dr. Google, <laughs> right? So I, I, I think there has to be a mechanism in place to ensure passes that QA. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be awesome. And, you know, fairly new where uh, NPs are getting into their own business. So this is the time then, right? Uh, maybe last year, but we had to deal with COVID. So this is the time. This is a time you want to do it when people are starting their practice. As you mentioned, the education has to be devoid of conflict of interest and has to be devoid of biases. What are the different financial challenges do you think that most NP go through? I'm assuming that it would be the same as a physician, but I really want to hear from your perspective. How can I be assured that I don't fall into a situation where I don't have income? So how can I be assured that I have steady income now? And of course, the future, right? They're dealing with being caregivers. So that might be another gap for their uh, aging parents. So they may have to take the time out or they, if they choose to have children and they choose to be the one who takes a parental leave, that will give them another sort of gap. The future, particularly if you have chosen to have a family, is even more important, if you will, than if you were single and you don't have to worry about who's going to take care of you. I think when you're young in general, doesn't matter what career path you've taken, you don't think of retirement. Who does, right? I mean, unless they have parents who are financial planners or whatever it might be. How am I going to be assured of a steady income now and in the future? And that future, will it be enough, given that I've had gaps of possibly not working? Is that going to be enough? And will there be something left for my kids? Because I'm, I'm paying a lot now for my kids along the way. Do I have enough money? Is there anything I could do to maximize that amount? And, and if I'm not working, can I still have a steady flow of income somehow? A lot of people think, okay, cuts, cuts, where can we trim the fat? I think um, I have a mindset of how can I make more money or be assured of some financial stability. And peas in particular, the ones that I've had conversations over the years, those seem to be their concerns and their valid concerns. Absolutely. Everybody has to deal with that, but the fact that now they have to deal with gap years where they don't make an income, that's important to chat about because nobody has really addressed that so far. Do you believe that NPs are a different breed? That the sense that you get a sense that they they save for the future or they're like everybody else? I, I think they might be very similar. The women, those who are women out there, they still, if they dominate a certain profession, like nurses and NPs, then that does put them in a specific category or, or a special ca- uh, category. You know, we know that in, in this profession, obviously more dominated by women and the fact that they think differently, are they saving more? of their of their income, for example, because I thought that's what I heard, women will tend to think more about the future and retirement, and will have a more tendency to save. So maybe in the nursing profession and in NP profession, that the vast majority of people 
have a tendency to save versus in professions where it's predominantly male. I don't know if that study has ever come up, but that would be a very interesting study to make. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, do you <laughs> do you have the data on that? Because I don't know. I, I don't, that, I don't. <laughs> but it's a very interesting question. A research project. A research project. <laughs> just just add it onto your list, Ella. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so last question, because I wanted to come to this question in specifically about pensions. 95% of the NPs who work in a hospital now get a pension. Clinics as well. Yeah, clinics as well. The other three to 5% who are independent may not necessarily have a pension and they may not necessarily know how to set up a pension. So it is important for them to know how to do so because they are allowed to a pension. You just have to listen to my podcast on, on, on IPPs and PPPs. So they could definitely set it up. But do you think that that's something that they are aware of uh, that is being taught right now or that they are even thinking about? (laughs) Nothing's been taught. So, you know, you're working at ground zero here as far as financial literacy when it comes to those things. So I I don't think that knowledge is out there unless, uh, you know, these NPs, you know, they're fi- they have financial planners who maybe tell them this or somebody else. Um, no. So it is a deficit for sure. You know, physicians have uh, MD management. The dentists have a group for the dentist. Does NP have a financial group for NPs? Not in the way that you're describing it. They have a, obviously professional associations that may have a subgroup uh, or an arm of it, but not that I even know of, actually. And I recall going to a lot of conferences back in the day where you would do in-person conferences, that kind of thing. The exhibitors would all be mainly for physician management. I don't know, like I said, I know that you know, the professional association may have an interest group or, a little, or start to build an arm of that, but it's still under the association, which has many other purposes. So uh, that may be really a tiny bit of it, but I actually don't know of any management company at all. Then I think you and I just have thought of a business idea there. <laughs> Another one. Let's Another add one. Let's just <laughs> add it onto a list. We need to, we need to set up a NP management firm. Wow. Wow. It's a great idea. And there's certainly the numbers out there that would be amazing. Like I said, a go-to place, you know, there is no go-to place. There's no, there's not a website that NPs can go to, to even learn what we just talked about. Right. So where do they go back to the, they don't know what they don't know. NPs like physicians don't know what they don't know, especially about personal finance and literacy especially when it comes to gaps in income. Like most physicians, NPs don't realize that we need to develop multiple revenue streams, as it was proven very important during COVID. Many physicians were not working during this period. All we need to think about were the surgeons uh, who needed OR time, and so all those elective surgery were postponed, and significant income were not realized. We need to realize that for NPs who are going on mat leave, the lack and the gap of income could last about a year or even to a year and a half. The question that Ella raised was a very good one. So how do we mend that gap in income? Over the years, it has become clear to me that even in healthcare, we need to find multiple revenue streams 
This is a topic that will be raised in a future podcast with Dr. Wing Lim. With all the skills that physicians and NPs have, there's definitely place for expanded revenue streams. If we look at the skills that we have, critical thinking skills, analytical skills, and some of us even have leadership skills. All we need now are entrepreneurial skills. If we don't have them, we can acquire them. It is really not that hard. So you can see there's definitely opportunity to develop multiple revenue streams based on what we currently have and know. Not many people can say they have medical skills or nursing skills, but a lot of people can say they have business skills. But the business people can still not do medicine, nor can they do nursing. And so for us to build that business skills is not hard. For us, it is not a stretch at all. There is a need out there, and there is a demand for us, for our type of skills. It is up to us to go and grab those opportunities. So go out there, learn about personal finance, and learn about how you can expand your skills for the market. When it comes to finding income to mend the gap, NPs are really no different than physicians. And I tell people and I tell my audience, learn how to manage money, learn how to save, learn how to invest. And also meaning investing in the stock market, but also investing in real estate. Finding that passive income is really important, especially in the scenario where the person needs to take gap years in earning income, either because of illness, either because they need to care for a parent or for children. Having that additional passive income to fall on is really important for financial health, but also for mental health and potentially, you know, avoiding that stress and the burnout that we all face. And with that, I'm going to give a little plug for myself. I'm going to have a workshop for nurse practitioners and physicians in June. So in fact, it is June 4th of this year. As people who've worked in the industry for at least 20, 30 years to think about the next generation and maybe how they can avoid, you know, the burnout that we are going through right now. And there's a, definitely a need for education, formal education. And there's a need for people to develop a business to help NPs with their personal finances, especially if you're now seeing a shift going from a salary type of status to a independent contractor status. I think there's going to be uh, more demand and more need for that in the future. I absolutely agreed. And I think NPs would be hungry for this kind of stuff. The future is bright if that's the case for the younger ones coming into the profession. Very good. So Ella, if I were to say, you know, I want you to use this podcast as your sounding board and I want you to say something that is burning on your chest right now for all the NPs out there in regards to you know, financial literacy, finances, burnout, whatever it may be, what do you have burning on your chest that you want all the NPs to hear from you right now? What would that be? 
get yourself out of what you think you were trained to do as as far as, okay, I'm going to, you know, just be an employee, if you will, and really expand. Don't be pigeonholed here. Think about, I want future and peace and those that are in the profession now to, to not limit themselves financially and not to feel that that's the route that they have to take is by being, you know, uh, always an employee and get yourself to a place where you can say so much as possible. And I'm hoping that, you know, there are people out there that come up with business ideas other than the ones that we're seeing now, so that that really propels the profession to move more towards independent practice. Because I think that there is an absolute role and gap for that kind of practice for MPs. You know, I have a podcast for finding multiple revenue streams. And I think that's what physicians need. And I think that's what NP needs. But I want to end your thought with this. My son is 12 years old now. But when he was seven or eight, he came home and he said, Dad, we've learned today about growth mindset. And he was learning this in grade one or grade two. And I literally did not know what growth mindset was. Okay. <laughs> like I was trained in Quebec in the 1980s. I'm like, there was, no, there was no growth mindset at the time. At least we didn't use that type of language. So what you are saying to people is use a growth mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I didn't know it was that term too, but yes. Right? Do not be locked in by the scarcity mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. And think big. Nothing wrong with that, right? You know, someone said to me that as children, we dream, but as adult, we no longer dream. And so we need to go back to dreaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, on, on that note, it, it feels good to know that you're paving the way there. And, uh, and it just thrills me to know when that we're moving in this direction. So I'm hoping to see people with better well-being uh, and he- better health and a less burnout. That's, that's my hope. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping to do this and move our community towards that, taking one road. And that road is finance. So I want to thank you, Ella, for coming on the show. It's been a great pleasure. I hope you had fun. I uh, and, uh, and I hope you'll come back on future shows with us. I would love that. And thank you so much for um, hearing my thoughts. And uh, I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, there you have it. And I want to thank you, Ella, for coming on to the show and discussing the different financial challenges for nurse practitioners currently and the future. And I hope that we can use this podcast to jumpstart a new revolution for our NP colleagues. It is very clear that financial education needs to be part of the professional development of physicians and nurse practitioners and physician assistants. I am starting a new conference and I'm hoping to start a new trend. And so I'm very happy and excited to announce to the public that I am having a virtual workshop, a one-day workshop on June 4th, 2021. Yes, in three months, I will have a virtual workshop for healthcare professionals. It's going to be 
Financial Literacy, Empower Your Future Self on June 4th, 2021 from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. The day is dedicated to learning and education and we'll be presented in a workshop style where we can do some exercise, do some reflection, ask questions, ask many questions, and try to figure out uh, among us. Because at the end of the day, nothing is known and everything is uncertain. But most importantly, questions come because we want to customize to our life. Otherwise, it would be not very useful presentation. And so come and join us for June 4th, 2020. So in about three months, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., where we will have a full-day workshop on financial literacy, empower your future self. And this will be open to all healthcare professionals, physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants, dentists. And so we're going to have a full day of workshop and interactive sessions where we can talk and chat and find out some answers about basic personal finance with the entire goal of finding financial security and hopefully buying back time so that we can all try to prevent burnout and live a happy and fruitful professional and personal life. Space is limited to only 100 attendees, so don't miss the event. Come early, sign up early. More information will come in future podcasts, and I will also do a little trailer to let you know where you can go to sign up and register. So stay tuned for this workshop on June 4th, 2021. If you want to reach out to me, you can go on to my new website, financialhealthdoc.com. Again, it is financialhealthdoc.com or email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. One more time, it is hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. How is My Financial Health Doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.